MSW Media. listening on the day this episode drops, well, happy Cinco de Mayo. Hope you have a wonderful time not going out to celebrate. That's right. Stay home, folks. Quaff your tequila and mezcal from the comfort of your own living rooms and family rooms and kitchens. Coming up on this episode, we've got an interview with adult film star Sarah Vendella. I've seen numerous reports about viewership spikes on porn and camming sites during quarantine. Uh, certainly my own viewing habits have uh, spiked <laughs> during that time. So I reached out to Sarah Vendella to find out what increased viewership means for the performers such as herself. You know, do they get paid more by the number of streams? I also was very curious as to what happens next with porn you know, with social distancing looking like it's going to continue for quite some time and all that. So that that interview with her is coming up in just a bit. Regular listeners to this show have heard me mention Tales of the Cocktail in New Orleans numerous times. It is a large-scale festival where the who's who of the bar industry goes down there. It's every July in New Orleans, except it's not going to happen this year, at least not in the traditional sense because of COVID-19. But they are going to be having a lot of things happening on video and virtually, including the Spirited Awards, which are essentially the Oscars of the booze business. They give out awards for the best bars, best bartenders, programs, bar mentors, whatever. And one of the awards that they that they give out down there is Best Broadcast Podcast or Online Video Series. And guess what? This show right here, What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn, is nominated for a Spirited Award. Just found out on Monday, May 4th was the day I found out. Very proud of that. And I want to thank all of you for listening. Because if people aren't listening to the show, we're probably not getting nominated. So that's kind of cool. A little feather in the cap. I'm, uh, it made me feel good. It was a good way to start the week. I also want to remind you that I host... Nightcap Live presented by Flaviar. Do that every Thursday from 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time. It's a live stream that happens on Flaviar's YouTube channel and it's getting more and more popular as the weeks go by. On Thursday, May 7th, our guest will be comedian Joe DeRosa along with Gabe Cardarella, who is Dewar's National Whiskey Ambassador, and Holly Seidewand, who is the Single Malts National Ambassador for Bacardi Brands. As always, during that broadcast, we're going to be giving away a Flaviar membership. That's really cool. It's a quarterly 
membership, you get booze, you get all sorts of things going on. So tune in on Thursday, Flaviar's YouTube channel, 7 p.m. Eastern time for a chance to win that membership and to hear some, hopefully be entertained. I got some adult beverages to tell you about this week. It is a drinking show for Christ's sake, so I should tell you about stuff. I mean, you're holed up in the house, you need some stuff to drink. These are beverages that are widely available in stores and via delivery services like Drizzly and Reserve Bar. First up, it is Cinco de Mayo. Jose Cuervo Tradicional just launched its first Añejo tequila. Hard to believe that. It's been this many years, but the Tradicional Tradicional line of Jose Cuervo has not had an Añejo tequila until now. Tradicional Añejo is matured for 12 months in new American oak barrels, and then they finish it for about four months in Irish single malt whiskey barrels. Is it the best Añejo tequila you've ever had? No. No, it isn't. Is it one of the best you're ever going to have for $33? Probably. I mean, that is very low end of the price scale for a good Añejo tequila, and this is a good Añejo tequila. I recommend it. Giving it a thumbs up. All right. Also coming up this month, World Whiskey Day on May 16th. So uh, whiskey I'm going to recommend is High West, uh, High West American Prairie Bourbon. It's a $40 bottle of bourbon. I love High West. I've talked about it on this show before, and I've written about it a bunch. Uh, you know, they were founded in Park City, Utah in 2006 with a little 250-gallon still, and they have grown from that tiny operation to an internationally recognized brand for a simple reason, and that's they make really excellent whiskey. And the American Prairie, again, 40 bucks is very, it's a very affordable whiskey. It's a blend of straight bourbons aged from two to 13 years, very rich and earthy. It's got some pleasant notes of candy corn, honey, cornbread biscuits. And what's also cool about it is every purchase comes with a karmic boost as well. High West donates 10% of profits from the sale of each bottle to the American Prairie Reserve, which is dedicated to protecting and preserving America's natural resources. So you can feel good about it while you're quaffing whiskey. And some of you don't like whiskey. Some of you like wine. I got two wines to tell you about. They're both from Cake Bread Cellars. There's a Napa Valley Chardonnay 2017 and a Napa Valley Sauvignon Blanc 2018. The Chardonnay, it's a very viscous wine. It kind of coats your palate. It's weighty on the tongue, but it's well-balanced and it's got some acidity to it, which I like in a Chardonnay. There's a clean finish. It's got that zing, a nice little zing and a... Some minerality that lingers there for a little bit. You get some pear and apple lemon. Um, I would say it's refreshing standout amongst some of the heavily oaked California Chardonnays. You can have it with chicken, salmon, crab cakes. 40 bucks a bottle. Uh, Sauvignon Blanc. It is Sauvignon Blanc season. People love the Sauvignon Blanc. And the 2018 Cake Bread Sauvignon Blanc is certainly a good one. Smells like white flowers. When I sniffed it, it was the first thing I got was white flowers. And there's some melon on there. And then on the palate, you're getting zesty flavors like pink grapefruit and guava. Long, crisp finish because you always get that with Sauvignon Blanc. You know, you you want that in a Sauvignon Blanc, that bright acidity and the mineral tones. It's the kind of thing you want to drink at the end of the day on its own. Or you could pair it with seafood, chicken, veggies, salad dishes. And it's only 30 bucks. For cake bread, 30 bucks for cake bread is a steal. As mentioned, I was nominated for a Spirited Award, Tales of the Cocktail. I've been to Tales probably about 12 times. And so I wanted to recount a story from one of my very first visits to Tales back in 2009. And here's the story. I was 
I was fresh into town and still feeling human as I hunkered down at the carousel bar off the main lobby of the Hotel Monteleone in New Orleans' French Quarter. By force of habit, I did a spot survey of who I was drinking with. I always like to check out my temporary family before I get soused with them. The guy sitting one stool over was in his mid-fifties wearing a tie-dyed t-shirt that read, Love Sucks, True Love Swallows. From the brown stain slightly obscuring the lettering, I put him on Jack and Cokes. As soon as I confirmed, he was downing two for every Louis Armstrong song. And Louis Armstrong is all they play at the carousel bar. It was 10 a.m. on a Wednesday, pretty close to this guy's bedtime. He turned and looked at me, or at least tried to. His pupils were swimming in opposite directions. The old reverse cross-eye. I'd seen this before, sometimes in the mirror. Call it an occupational hazard. After taking a long, contemplative drag off of one of the two marbles he had going simultaneously, he croaked, If alcohol kills millions of fucking brain cells, how come it never kills the ones that make me want to drink? This turned out to be an entirely appropriate introduction to the 2009 Tales of the Cocktail Festival, the annual Bacchanal that puts representatives from the world's biggest liquor brands in the same room with the world's biggest celebrity bartenders and the industry's most notorious journalist-slash-charity cases. Still not sure which side of the equation I fall on. It's the place where the big business of booze gets done over many, many libations. And while the ninth annual Tales event promised to be the biggest yet, the fashion-impaired degenerate next to me felt like a harbinger of some heavy shit to come. Nearly four years after Katrina, New Orleans was still damaged goods, friends. Plus, the Second Great Depression and its gut punch to the tourism trade hadn't helped the local recovery effort. But there we all were, nonetheless. Thousands of folks from all over the world, tied together by a common interest in the promotion and consumption of luxury adult beverages. But hey, why not New Orleans, right? It's not like people there are getting killed. What's that? They are getting killed? Three in this neighborhood last week? Hmm, I see. Despite my twitchy mood, I managed to have a hell of a time, at least as far as I can tell from my trusty notebook and voice recorder. In this profession, you learn to live a lot like that guy in the movie Memento. I was apparently blotto for five days straight, no doubt because there were people handing out sample cups of alcohol damn near everywhere you went. Now, what else is a professional booze writer to do in the Big Easy at a Spirits Festival? My Playboy editor's answer to that question, by the way, was, Oh, I don't know, Dan. Attend a seminar? Interview someone? Be a, you know, journalist? He's so cute when he's angry. According to my trusty voice recorder, here's how things went down. Wednesday, 10 a.m. I'm hanging out at the carousel bar off the main lobby of the Hotel Monteleone with my new vision-challenged friend. You've heard this part before. 10.30 a.m. Roll into a panel discussion, take that, Editor McAsshole, called... Big Trends in Cocktail and Spirit Service, featuring Jim Meehan of New York City's PDT, who went on to win American Bartender of the Year a couple days later. Also speaking were Michael Waterhouse of Devon Tavern and Dylan Prime and Simon Defert of Sauce Guide Publications. Heavyweights all. Meehan says flavored vodkas are on the way out. Waterhouse adds that just because vodka is distilled 20 times and filtered through diamond dust and baby hair does not necessarily mean it's good vodka. Difford claims he's using less and less vodka in the recipes he develops. Duly noted. 10.32 a.m. I spot a guy in the front row wearing an 
absolute vodka cap. Betty feels like a dick. 10.34 a.m. Down sample cup of a cocktail made with Tommy Bahama rum. No, wait. Turned out this is not a cocktail at all. Rather just a plain old shot of Tommy Bahama rum. While conceptually impoverished, it tastes woody, smooth, almost nutritious breakfast-like. Woof. 10.44 a.m. Differ opines that cocktails made with fruit are out and the classic cocktails are where it's at these days. 10.45 a.m. Jim Meehan counters that he's all about cocktails made with grapefruit, blood orange, kiwi, and pineapple. Differed in turn, threatens to drown Jim in the pool. Wait, maybe it was, wow, Jim, you're cool. Frickin' British dudes and they're hard to understand English. For the record, I'm with Meehan on the fruit thing, mainly because he was kind enough to lay an easy-to-make-at-home recipe on me. Drink is called There Will Be Blood by PDT bartender John DeBerry. Two ounces of old granddad bourbon, 100 proof, three quarters of an ounce Godiva original chocolate liqueur, three quarters of an ounce blood orange juice, and blood orange twist for garnish. Shake over ice, strain into a chilled coupe, garnish with a flamed blood orange twist. Now some would say a flamed blood orange twist doesn't exactly fall into the easy-to-make-at-home category. I say these people lack an appropriate commitment to their drinking life. 11.22 a.m. Waterhouse just referred to the cloudy apple cider as a great lengthener and quipped that size matters when it comes to ice cubes. I can't handle this sort of sexual innuendo before noon. Time to get out of here. 11.23 a.m. Down another sample cup of Tommy Bahama rum for the road. I'm not even halfway through the first day and every trace of shame has left my body. 11.36 a.m. Back in the carousel bar for a few rounds of Bacardi daiquiris with a very attractive spirits industry professional. I try out new pickup line about how love sucks and true love swallows. The shame returns. 11.38 a.m. The attractive spirits industry professional has to run. Literally, apparently. I decide to stay a while and keep the daiquiris company. 1.45 p.m. Walking down Charter Street towards my room at the Posh W Hotel, French Quarter. Wait, what's this in my hand? Why, it's my perfectly legal-to-go cup of daiquiri. All the places in me that were filled with shame a moment ago are now filled with love for this beautiful town. 4.44 p.m. While having a late lunch of Maker's Mark Red Stripe and a fried shrimp po'boy at a watering hole called Coop's Place, I meet a local woman with tar-colored hair, moonish eyes, and plasticine skin. She looks like the daughter on the Adams family, except with a decent personal trainer and great boobs. She swears she's a real vampire. And while she certainly looks the part, I don't buy it. So she offers to bite my arm and suck my blood. I tell her that's way too weird for me. As if to illustrate my new shame-free existence, we make out instead. 6 p.m. Turns out the Monleone is something of a home base here at Tales. I'm back there again and heading into a seminar called You Need to Get the Fuck Out of Here Before You Make an Ass of Yourself. Wait, no, that's just what I wrote in my notebook for this time frame. In lieu of an actual seminar, I bump into King Cocktail himself, Dale DeGroff, perhaps the world's most famous mixologist, and begin telling him about how I just made out with a vampire. 6.01 p.m. Dale has to run. I'm beginning to notice a pattern. 6.03 p.m. Down sample cup of something could be rum punch. 6.04. Down another one to be sure. Yep, seems like rum punch. Rum Clement? This requires further investigation. Another sample cup. 6.05. 
I realize my powers of deduction are paramount. It reads rum clement punch right on the side of the sample cup. I celebrate with another. 6.10 p.m. Headed back to my room for a power nap. Thursday, 8.30 a.m. That was one powerful goddamn nap. I feel like a new man. We'll move forward to Thursday night, 7.12 p.m. I take a stroll down Bourbon Street to sober up, which speaks volumes about how much of an ass-kicker the Tales Festival is. I passed at least three other guys sporting the Love Sucks, True Love Swallows t-shirt. 8.14 p.m. Suddenly I'm feeling nostalgic about the days of old when my dad used to wear a shirt that read Mustache Rides, Five Cents. I drop into a t-shirt store to look for one, but the old bearded guy behind the counter tells me they discontinued that rude stripe of misogynistic casual wear years ago. Besides, he adds, shaking his head ruefully, you can't get a mustache ride for five cents anywhere anymore. Friday. Apparently I called in for a radio segment with Danny DeVito on Playboy Radio's morning show. I know this because there is a tape. Other than that, however, I have very little in the way of evidence of what happened Friday. Wouldn't be the first time. Saturday, 8.30 a.m. I wake up to discover that some asshole has vomited all over my bathroom. Since I'm alone, the conclusion is obvious. It was housekeeping. I'll keep an eye on them from now on. 1 p.m. Vampire girl calls and says she'd like to get together for a cup of coffee or something. I tell her I wish I could, but that I'm a professional on assignment for Playboy. I need to attend some seminars, interview some folks, and, you know, be a journalist. She, in turn, says she doesn't need coffee and that, really, it's just a booty call. I decide there'll be plenty of time to be a journalist later. 1.10 p.m. My suspicions about housekeeping and their secret regurgitators have been confirmed. While I was out, the sneaky mother snuck in and cleaned up the evidence. Make no mistake, I will be writing a strongly worded letter to the management. I consider this a public service. They should know about any predatory hurling happening on premises. 1.15 p.m. Vampire girl just called to say she can't make it after all. Some crap about not being able to go out in the sun. 1.17 p.m. I'm lying down for a quick nap. Sunday, 11.15 a.m. Okay, nap ran long again. But Christ, I needed it if I was going to walk out of this town alive. Besides, my work here is done. Support for What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn comes from Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Listen, folks, when it comes to dating, it's a jungle out there. But when you do find someone who wants to take you home, you better make sure it's not a jungle down there. That's why I use Manscaped, a revolutionary electric trimmer that makes accidents a thing of the past. Their Lawnmower 2.0 has proprietary skin-safe technology, so this trimmer won't nick or snag your nuts. Take my word on this. No, seriously, you don't want to Google snag your nuts. It's going to take you down a dark road. Another reason to get Manscaped is that you don't want to use the same trimmer on your face as you're using on your balls. That's just nasty. Oh, and Manscaped also has the Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. You already put deodorant on your armpits. Why not use it on the smelliest part of your body? Get 20% off and free shipping with the code DRINKING at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code DRINKING. And always use the right tools for the job. Always use Manscaped. Your balls will thank you. Lots of industries are suffering right now, but one business that's booming is online sex. People are watching more porn, they're camming, doing private chats and the like. I've talked about it before on this show. I signed up for Pornhub Premium at the beginning of all this quarantine shit. It was like discovering a a new room in my house. 
And it's the only action I'm getting right now, the internet, and it's, it's been quite a lot of action. Sarah Vendela's adult film career began in 2007, and over the years, her fan base has skyrocketed. She's known as a deep throat queen. In 2016, she beat out Adriana Chechich and Riley Reed for first place in the Throated Challenge. Yeah. She's a Night Moves Performer of the Year. That's a fan award that she got in 2018. She's been nominated for a bunch of awards, including 20 AVN Awards, 14 XBiz Awards, 4 XRCO Awards, and an X-Critic Award. And I rang her up on Zoom to talk about the state of the adult film industry. And here's how it went. So I'm very excited to talk to my guest today. She is a, a giant in the adult film world, and I am excited. I got a lot to talk to you about. Sarah Vandella, how are you? Hello. It's, I'm wonderful. Thank you for that intro. <laughs> so you, as mentioned, you are, you have, how long have you been in the adult film industry? Yes, I have been in the film industry, adult film industry, for 13 years and hopefully longer uh, once we get past this. But yes, it's been quite a ride so far. And you, you know, you mentioned getting past this. Uh, a couple of things. So people were watching a lot of porn to begin with, but I'm going to say now they're they're watching way more. How does that work for you? Is it is it similar to say Spotify and other streaming things where? Everybody, every time someone watches one of your videos, do you make more money? Depending on where the source of their watching is, yes, I could be making residuals. If it's uh, something that I'm directly creating, then 100% goes to me. Um, if it's something where I'm on a platform, a third-party platform, then I would get a residual, uh, which they provide for their performers, which I think is very nice. <laughs> So, for instance, I got I got sucked into the uh, Pornhub, uh, did this uh, promotion where they they said it was going to be free for a month. The Pornhub Premium, yes, of course it was not free for a month. It was free for about forty eight hours, <laughs> and then I started getting notices saying, "Do you want to keep this?" So I signed up, and whatever it was, ninety bucks for the year. But I I did wonder because I you know I've heard stories back in the day that you know, the performers were getting the short end of the stick once the sort of aggregate sites came along. Is that still the case or has that gotten worked out to be a little bit more equitable financially? It's somewhere in the middle for sure, but it's definitely easier for performers and models to make a profit off of their work um, than it used to be. In fact, uh, Pornhub, as you mentioned, was the platform I was referring to have made it very uh, performer friendly and that's a great incentive for us. And they're they're one, you know, they're they're wonderfully ran. I, I adore uh, I adore them. So it's great to see that they are caring about the performers, etc. Um, when it comes to other platforms like our OnlyFans, um, Dance Centro, some girls use, then we have that option to gain one hundred percent of the residuals. Um, some people. So what? What is that? What is? Oh, I, I always see that. Oh, you follow me? I haven't done it. And trust me, if I did do it, I'd be like, yeah, I've done it. You know, but I don't even know what is OnlyFans. Yeah, great question and fair question. OnlyFans is basically a one-stop shop for all direct websites related to adult performers or any kind of influencer. There's all types of models, if you will, available on OnlyFans. But it's a great way to interact with one of your favorite. Uh, performer celebrities and support them directly. 
there are some people who use an answering service and that is fine. They are still delivering the content hundred percent themselves, of course, but um, I'm hands-on hundred percent with everything. So I literally answer every single message and cater to try to cater to all of the demands that come my way. And um, it's just a great place to also chit chat with fans, get to know them um, and just provide a great one-on-one level of entertainment. <laughs> so if I wanted to go follow you on OnlyFans, so do you join OnlyFans across the board or do you strictly go and say, I want to, I want to follow Sarah Vandella on OnlyFans. Do I pay a subscription for that? Or is it, is it sort of a la carte? It is actually performer based individually. Um, but, uh, what you're, uh, mentioning wouldn't be a bad idea as well. <laughs> um, but yes, it is. You would go to that performers or studios direct page and support them directly. So now when you, when you think about shooting scenes and doing whatnot now, I remember, and of course you remember a few years ago and I don't, I don't know what the status is of it now when they passed the condom law, did they get rid of that in California? It did not pass. It did not pass. Okay. They were trying to pass the law, which, which let's face it, you know, they were, they were couching it as a, you know, to protect the health of the workers, but, but it was just another way to to shut down. It's the same thing when they do with abortion clinics and they say, oh, we got to make the hallways wider. So it's, they're just really trying to shut it down and it's an end around to do that. So I'm glad that didn't pass, but this kind of feels way more grave situation that what do you think happens moving forward? How does the does the adult film industry, what do you see happening in terms of going back to work? Well, um, thank you so much for asking this. I am very hopeful. We are keeping it on a weekly, bi-weekly, monthly basis right now. Uh, I see that things might not get back to our normal for quite some time, whether that be six months to 18 months, who really knows? Um, my main concern would be, would performers be able to incorporate COVID testing along with our STD testing and biweekly testing that is already a protocol for industry standards, um, and whether or not that would be, um, accurate in terms of the false positive response, et cetera. So what I see is just people being creative. I see the industry utilizing whatever they can in this um, situation, like Zooming and offering one-on-one kind of Skype slash GFE virtual experiences. And fans are really eating that up right now. They are just crave. We all are craving some human connection. Well, that's my, that's my entire sex life right now has been, uh, I'm thinking back to uh, earlier in the year, where, as I mentioned, I'd, I'd come out of a relationship and opportunities that I had that I didn't take. <laughs> and now I'm going, God damn it. Sure. When will there be another human being yeah. uh, around? But uh, it's it's kind of scary. So I got to figure that that's, that's really ramped up with, with you guys in terms of doing that. Um, do you, I mean, do you anticipate going back and doing scenes with other physical contact with human beings anytime soon? I am taking this kind of day at a time, if you will, um, and seeing what's going on because I am seeing some of my peers really kind of do what I'm doing, keeping their, well, what they, what appears. I mean, we never really know what goes on behind closed doors, but whatever. I mean, you have a sense of 
how people are living. And for me personally, I'm only leaving the house for essentials once a week. I do take little walks throughout the day if I need to with a mask. No one's around. I'll take the mask off. But if people are around, I try to be respectful. Um, I'm not social or I'm social distancing. I'm not having any gatherings with anyone. I'm literally zooming and FaceTiming everyone I know. Um, and I'm just hoping that my colleagues are doing the same. And when the time comes for us to come together physically and perform, uh, I feel like that will be something that is either a known kind of like everybody's in the same kind of boat, if you will, about it. And everyone feels right and ready. And again, our testing is coincided because that's that's a huge concern. Would COVID testing now become part of our STD panel testing? You know, I, I would be curious to see where where that conversation would go. So I believe that these factors determine the actual date, but I am hoping for sooner than later. But I am erring on the side of caution and planning to self-quarantine as long as I need to. So what about performers? And I think there are many of them that are in relationships mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. together. They can be doing scenes now, I guess. Right. Is that happening? Absolutely. And that is 100% not an issue for me anyway. I have no problem with that. Um, in fact, it was, you know, mentioned uh, by FSC, uh, free speech coalition that um, they encourage people that are living together to continue to make content with one another, to provide an income. Um, there are people that are still meeting up with one another, and that is their business and their choice. Um, not something I would do personally right now. Um, but yes, if you're living with someone and you're in a relationship, then by all means, you should uh, utilize that. Absolutely. Would you say that's common in the industry, that people that are in the industry tend to date, marry within the industry? Sure. Kind of seems to me like I, I see a lot of the stars that I see on, you know, on Pornhub or wherever else, mm-hmm. they, you always sort of see, oh, the, you see them working with the same people and if you, you find out they're in the relationship with that. But is that kind of the norm? Would you say? Yes. Yes and no. There are some, you know, fantastic power couples, if you will, you know, Kenzie and Seth, Adrian and Zach. Um, I could keep going. <laughs> but uh, well, I know, I know Caden Cross is an old oh, friend of mine. She, and she's uh, yeah. next level. I mean, Caden and Manuel, I mean, forget about it. I mean, but yeah, you're right. Caden and Manuel would be sort of top of the oh, heap, like right? Oh, quintessential power couple person. Absolutely. Shame on me that that didn't yeah. come out of my mouth first, but yeah, no, they're both fantastic. So, um, there are, there are performers like me that, uh, are dating and with people that are outside of the industry, but I'm very lucky that when I am with my boyfriend, he is my stunt cock, if you will. And, um, I'm teaching him cool things, you know, and how to film. And, uh, after the first time of accidentally pressing the record button during our, uh, sessions, he's gotten the hang of it. So it's fun to kind of coach. I direct him as we go. It's pretty funny. Yeah. My, my recording games, I'm going to, I'm going to admit that my recording game has not been on point. You know, I've looked back at some of this and I'm like, what? <laughs> because it's hard to do it. It's hard to, you know, keep your focus Absolutely. <laughs> literally and figuratively while you're doing that. It's, it's not a, it's a skill to get that, to get those shots the right no way. No kidding. I hear you. <laughs> Now, how did you, how did you, uh, come to the business? Good grief. I was, um, early twenties, uh, did a small stint at a SUNY, uh, state school in New York state. Wasn't feeling it wasn't for me. Did some office jobs, hated it. Wasn't for me. Um, 
was always curious about what it would be like to be an adult performer. Uh, always wanted to go the legal route. Uh, I did start at a club in New York that was known for providing some things that maybe weren't legal, but we were always safe and we were always given. Is this, is this in the city? Or? No, it was on Long Island, actually, South Shore. Okay. Anyway, okay. long story short, I wanted to go legit. And so I wanted to maximize myself and kind of make the most of it. And so I went out west and I started working at a legal brothel. And I loved being a caregiver. I loved kind of entertaining. And then I met a porn star. And after giving it some thought and making some phone calls to different agents, I dipped my my foot in the porn pool, if you will. And I've been active in the industry since then. And that was in 2007. So yeah, yeah. it's been a while. Bro. And that's that's not the norm. That you're that you're certainly not the norm in this industry. I mean, it tends to be very short shelf life, I think, for a lot of the performers. Sure. Right? Some people come and go and kind of never really stick. Some people come in, hit it hard, hit it heavy, and can stay on free ones for the next 10 years. And that's awesome. But there are girls like me that want the longevity and want the career out of it. And I am so grateful that when we're not in quarantine and on lockdown, I'm still working enough to be part of the industry. And that makes me feel incredible as well as having my own studio and providing my own content. So I'm very grateful for both of those avenues. Um, and the, having your own studio, providing your own content, that was that was sort of a natural reaction too, because we touched on it earlier. There was that period where when the, when the sites, the, I guess you would call them the aggregate sites that just grab all the scenes, when they first came along, it seemed like, you know, the performers were really bearing the brunt of that it, the days of vivid contracts and giant you know i because i'm also friends with savannah sampson uh old friend of mine and uh you know she was a vivid girl so she had a big contract she was making a lot of money and then that that like every like so many other business like my bit like writing and everything else the internet there was that transition period where it's like we're not going to make any money yeah i those were my earlier days in the business um and I saw that happen. And for years, you know, performers had no residuals offered from these tube sites. But finally, you know, the platforms shifted and the the demand shifted uh, of fans wanting that direct contact with performers. And so slowly over time, listen, you got to have both best of both worlds. You got to have your name out there enough from the studios to get the publicity and then be able to keep those fans with your hot content one-on-one. So I, you know, I'm, I'm very grateful to having those studios and stuff, but a lot of performers have kind of come to, or will come to the point in their content creating that they simply don't need the big studios anymore. And, and that's okay. You know what I mean? Um, it's okay to, to have done that for many years and then decide that you want to keep everything exclusive to your own fans from this point forward. Um, but yeah, personally, I'm still doing both, but, uh, hopefully, Sooner than later, I can get back to all of it. <laughs> I think it's a model that you're going to see lots of other forms of entertainment follow. I was thinking about all of these uh, live stream concerts and things that are going on. I don't think that's going to stop when this ends. And I don't know that this is going to end anytime soon. But whenever something resembling normal returns, I still think you're going to see a lot more of this direct to your consumer type situations where instead of going on a tour 
an artist is going to say, Hey, I'm going to, you're going to pay this. I'm going to play a private show on Friday night at my house. It's an impromptu thing and it's 50 bucks. I think everybody jump. Yeah. Yeah. I was actually thinking of this relating it to my, because what's helping me get through this are taking uh, Zoom, yoga on Zoom, workout on Zoom, you know, doing some stuff with studios that are providing those classes. Even when we are getting back to normal, I still want to work out at home just for a little bit until we are good to go. Everything's back in the saddle and we're ready to take off, you know. But yeah, I love the um, the accessibility and the the comfort of being able to communicate and, and you know, um, connect with people through this during this time. I mean, it's it's really kind of our saving grace in a way. So, how much are you missing actually going on set and performing? Very much, because it's a whole thing. You know, you get ready early in the morning. You have a coffee. You know. Get, get all your stuff ready for the day, you get in the car, you get to set, you know, you greet everybody, your crew, you see your makeup lady. It's like a whole thing. And, you know, if you're like me and you get to work with people that like 95% of the time, I love these people and the 5%, they're great people. I have nothing wrong with them, but you know, it's extra special when you get to work with people that you adore. They're funny. They're genuine. They care about the, the quality of the content. They also don't want to be at work all day, but they want it to be a fun experience. And um, yeah, I miss it tremendously. So how much say do you have? Do you, can you sort of dictate who you'll work with and not work with? Are there people that you, I'm not asking you to name names, but can you say, you know, I don't want to work with this person anymore. I, or, or I love working with this person. Yes. As talent and performers, we are given the option to have a preference list Primarily a no list was something that the industry has always had, but it's gone to yes list only. So, and that's, and that's performer. Um, you earn that over time with work and years put in and developing a big name. You can't really, you know, you can't really be in the business for six months and make demands unless you're, uh, that girl on my wall right there, Gianna Dior. (laughs) Oh yeah. Is that, is that a big one? One of my favorites. Yeah. (laughs) Um, anyway, so we are allowed to say who we want to work with and we are allowed to say who we don't want to work with, but it has to be ahead of time. It can't be day of, or else you might be charged a kill fee. So, you know, it's just out of respect to studios, et cetera. And what about, what about acts, things you won't do? Absolutely. That is all kind of planned out ahead of time. And the booking of the scene, whether it's the producer or director booking the scene will always contact either the model directly or the agent directly to to make sure that that individual is accepted uh, for the role. Okay. With the role and everything is out in the open, no string, no, you know, weird surprises on set, if you will. When you say it's, it's planned out ahead of time to the, how much, how much planning is it to the point where they go, all right, first position is going to be missionary. Then it's going to be reverse cowgirl. I mean, does, or is that just all sort of happen organically? Either or. There are some production companies that have a scripted out dialogue intro and then sex. They, they have their positions that they want and the, the finish, if you will, uh, where they want it. And they say they want this position when for the for the money shot. Correct. They can. But if it's something that one of the models isn't comfortable with, we are allowed to say, you know what, that might be really hot and sexy, but I'm not quite comfortable with it. So would it be okay if 
insert, you know, choice <laughs> body part for whatever. Okay. And usually there is no problem with that. No one is there to make you do anything you don't want to do or make you uncomfortable. But there are scripts and directors and scenes where there's improv and kind of just general, like, here's your frame. Here's your aim. Here's my lights. Here's your frame. We have 30 minutes. Go. <laughs> so it, it happens. It happens um, in both arenas, if you will. <laughs> so. One of the, one of the things I was curious about is, you know, a lot of this, not a lot, but I mean, there's a significant amount of, 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 of porn that is rough. Right. Yeah. And we know what happened a couple of years ago with uh, James Dean. And yeah. How do they police that now? And, and I wonder if the performers are, even if it's agreed upon ahead of time, mm-hmm. it's still there on tape mm-hmm. and someone could turn around later and say, you know what? I wasn't in my right mind when I, and they, they I sort of got forced into doing that, but, but are you finding any problem with that? Are they kind of pulling away from, from doing more of the rough stuff? A valid question before quarantine, when it came to, in my experience, when it came to being on set with more of a rough, uh, you know, kind of undertone, then everything would be kind of laid out and agreed upon. If at any point a woman or a man is uncomfortable on set, they are allowed to say, no, thank you. Cut, stop, don't, um, you know, but when it comes to it, some companies have even gotten model advocates that are the direct liaison between performer, crew, male talent, director. That's, you know, a little much, you know, but, 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 but very, the, their heart's in the right place for it. Um, and then there's just companies that will have you write down the things that you just simply are not okay with doing. And before we perform and at go into the, the stills or photo or video, excuse me, we will have kind of a powwow with our colleagues and co-stars and everybody will go over each other's list and sign it and make sure that we are all on the same page when it comes to respecting performer boundaries and performer bodies. So rough sex is still happening. It's just happening with more care and it's happening with more concern. And there, I still love, you know, a good rough scene with a trusted partner. You know, the problem is with hearsay, you, you know, you could have a wonderful experience with someone and then hear about them doing something to someone else. And you're like, wow, that wasn't my experience. And then, you know, it's up to you to make the choice. Do you work with them again? But, um, yeah, I mean, rough sex is hot, but you know, it's still, it's done. It's done with care. I've been doing it during quarantine. I've been wearing uh, gloves, like really construction worker gloves. Yeah. When I'm, Oh man, it's rough. Amazing. <sighs> um, so, so moving forward. So the, the way to the best way right now, fans want to interact with you. They want to go to onlyfans.com. Sarah. Van- yes. Uh, onlyfans.com slash Sarah Vandela. Um, or you can call me on Sex Panther. Just go to sexpanther.com and type. Wait, let's, whoa, 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 back Yes. Sex, Sex Panther? Yes. Isn't that the, isn't that the cologne from uh, Anchorman? (laughs) Oh my God, that would be amazing. Um, No, I think it was. Wasn't it Sex? Remember Paul Rudd had the magical. I'm literally going to watch that the second we hang up because that's how long it's been since I've seen that movie. Shame on me. Um, I need to keep I believe it's called Sex Panther. <laughs> we'll have to check this. But that's funny. So Sex Panther is a, what, a phone call it's, line? It's phone sex and text and direct video and picture messaging. It's kind of like similar to OnlyFans. However, has a few different features. 
Um, so if you're interested, it's S-E-X-T as in sext and then panther.com. And then you can okay. search models and performers. And there's a whole bunch of incredible people on there. So go check it out. Kind of gone down the rabbit hole of watching a lot of adult enter- entertainment while I've been in quarantine. And I, and, you know, and I was just wondering, like, what, ha- like, what goes on with you guys? Like, how do you get through this as well? And it's, you know, you, you gave me a lot of answers today. Well, thank you. I'm happy to to help. And it was great chatting with you. And by the way, this might be the first segment on what we're drinking where we didn't drink. I anything. was going to say, yeah. I'm such a shitty guest. I'm a not, I'm a non-drinker. I'm a pot smoker. But I didn't um, want to get we could have smoked some pot. I got a weed right I over know, here. I got a little baby <laughs> infused uh, ready to go. We're both we're both drinking water. I love it. Uh, but Sarah, thank you so much for joining me today, and uh, and I look forward to seeing you when you get back to work too. Like when you get back to the onto the onto the sets and all that too. So, awesome. thank right. you. Take care. Hey, this is Tiffany Thiessen, and you're listening to What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn. Look, folks, now is not the time to overpay for razors at the drugstore. And frankly, you shouldn't be venturing into drugstores at all if you can avoid it. Harry's knows this. That's where they ship directly to you. So you can experience the quality of a Harry's shave in just a few days from the convenience and safety of your own home. One of the things that's keeping me sane during quarantine is sticking to my familiar routines, like shaving with my Harry's razor. Just the scent of that shave gel alone reminds me of what normal feels like. You know, you're going to shave, go out for the day, and normal's a good feeling. So why Harry's? Well, it's a return to the essentials. Quality, durable blades at a fair price, just $2 per blade. They've cut out the middleman. They use a German manufacturer that's been honing precision blades for a century, and those high-quality blades go straight from that manufacturer's factory to you. Also, Harry's is super convenient. You get refills delivered directly to your door on your schedule with or without a subscription. 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, you let Harry's know and they'll give you a full, not a half, not a quarter, full refund. And you can feel good about the purchase. 1% of the proceeds are set aside for nonprofit organizations devoted to helping provide access to better health care. And the veterans are included in that as well. So we got a special offer right now for my listeners. Join the 10 million who have tried Harry's. Go to harrys, H-A-R-R-Y-S dot com slash drinking, harrys.com slash drinking. You'll get a weighted ergonomic handle for a firm grip, five blade razor with a lubricating strip and a trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel with aloe. Keep your skin hydrated. Very important. You get a travel blade cover to keep your razor dry and easy to grab on the go. Again, go to harrys.com slash drinking to start shaving better today or whenever it shows up. And that, friends, is going to do it for this episode. Thank you for joining us. I want to thank Sarah Vendella for talking to me. I want to remind you to follow me on Instagram and Twitter at the imbiber at the imbiber coming up over the next few episodes we've got some exciting stuff director Steven Soderbergh is going to be joining us on this here show Soderbergh the man actor Colin Donnell from Chicago Med the affair is going to be with us and very excited to have the founder of Kentucky Al Bourbon 
Dixon Deadman. Dixon Dead, Dixon Dead. Talk to you soon, later on. <laughs>